Have you ever become so angry that you went on a tirade? I'm talking about that kind of anger where where you feel the color rise in your face and you feel the, the heat rush through your body and you just unload. Now, that is not the way I usually express my anger. However, there have been a couple times in my life when I've let anger take control of me like that. And one of those times, I'm sorry to say, my anger was directed at my wife. Julie and I had been married for just about a year, and we were still learning the ins and outs of life together and making all kinds of adjustments. And we had the normal squabbles that married couples do, but, but nothing particularly loud or outrageous. And then one day I came home from work, and I discovered that some things in our apartment were not the way I wanted them to be. Now, I have to say, after the passing of years, I don't even remember what those things are anymore which tells you that in the grand scheme of things, they probably weren't very important. Nevertheless, at the time, they set me off. And I could feel the anger building, and I began to walk around our apartment yelling at her. I was loud. I was rude. I called her names. It was horrible, despicable behavior. And yet, despite my anger, two really good things happened that day. The first thing is this. Julie wasn't even at home. (laughs) She was still at work, so I was ranting and raving in an empty apartment. (laughs) And I am so thankful for that because if she'd seen my anger, if she'd heard my words, I would have hurt her deeply. Later on, when she got home, I told her what had happened, and that led to the the second good thing. We discussed the things that upset me rationally, without anger. And then we prayed together, and I resolved never to lose control like that again. And with God's help, I've been able to fulfill that promise. And and yes, at times I still do get angry, we all do, but never like that, and never toward Julie. Usually, in my case, my anger is much more controlled these days, and it's usually over very quickly. I work hard to resolve it quickly. And I'm curious, I wonder what anger's like in your life. When was the last time you got angry? Did you get angry this week because somebody cut you off on the freeway? Did you get angry because a friend or coworker said something you didn't like? Maybe it was when you listened to your favorite newscaster tell you that your political enemies are all so mean and rude and evil. That's a great way to get your anger stirred up. And maybe it was just this morning when you were trying to get ready to get out the door and somebody in the family was making you late. I also wonder what does anger look like? How do you express it? For some people, their anger shoots out kind of like a lightning bolt. It's sharp and dramatic and quick. For others, anger is like a raging forest fire. And for some, it's it's more like a controlled burn. Whatever it is that may trigger our anger, however we may express our anger, 
Scripture makes it clear that our anger usually has negative consequences. It hurts us and it hurts others, and that's why we need to master it. And one way to master it is to understand its source. What is it that drives your anger and mine? It's our our desire to win, our desire to be right, our desire to get our way, our desire not to look bad. In other words, our anger is birthed out of our pride. We get angry when we focus too much on ourselves. And therefore, I believe the best way to defeat our anger is to embrace humility. As we increasingly learn to live in humility before God, we can conquer our pride and we can tame our anger, this anger that is so destructive in our relationships, this anger that dominates so much of our social media. Walking humbly with God will help us to rein this in. And to understand the consequences of anger this morning, we're going to look at the first example of sinful anger in human history. And we're going to see how unchecked anger can drive us into an ever-downward spiral. We're going to meet a man named Cain. And Cain allows himself to be gripped by pride, and controlled by his anger, and as a result, he murders his younger brother, Abel. It's a tragic story with much to teach us. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 4 and see what we can learn about the problem of anger. Genesis 4.1, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, we need to set the context for all these events. Now, Adam and Eve had been created by God, and they were given the privilege of living in a paradise called Eden. They were created without sin. They also were created with free will. And they decided they wanted to be like God. They wanted to know what God knew. And so they made a choice. They yielded to the sin of pride. The consequences were huge. They were banished from Eden. Pride destroyed their lives. That's the prelude to what I just read. And now here in Genesis 4, Adam and Eve are beginning a new life as sinful people living in a broken world. They start a family and God blesses them with two sons. Yet the root of pride has been established in their family. And as we're going to see, Adam and Eve pass that character defect on to their oldest son. We don't know exactly how it happens, but perhaps their conversations are full of prideful comments. Maybe in the course of daily life, they display arrogant attitudes or self-absorbed behavior. Somehow, some way, Cain picks it up. And the great tragedy is that he not only embraces the pride of his parents, he takes it to a whole new destructive level. And that's what we see as this story continues. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. 
In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now we don't know exactly how Cain and Abel present their offerings to God. Our best guess is that the brothers build an altar out of rocks and they take their possessions that they want to give to God and they lay those offerings there on the rocks and then they burn them. So this would be a sacrificial act and it would be an act of worship and the rising smoke from the altar would symbolize their offering going up to heaven. And however we give them, offerings are good for us. Whenever we give away possessions or money, time. It's a moment of selflessness because our focus is on God or on others rather than on ourselves. Furthermore, offerings give God a chance to see what's really in our hearts. And Abel, Abel's heart is good. He's highly selective about what he gives to God. He picks out some of the best animals in his flock. And then he gives to God the best portions from those best animals. By sacrificing some of his best meat, he's giving a sign that he trusts God more than himself. He's trusting that God will provide for his needs. The book of Hebrews has a little commentary about this moment. And we learn that Abel's offering is an example of faith. It's a sacrifice of faith because Abel's heart is right with God. Unfortunately, Cain's heart is not good. It's not right with God, and so his offering is not given in faith. And it appears that he rather casually picks out some random, random parts of his crop. He's not selective at all. And he doesn't give God his best, which is a sign that he trusts himself more than God. And that's not just a lack of faith. That's the sin of pride. Pride is destructive because it undermines faith. God the Father sees this. And he's disappointed in his son Cain. And he expresses that disappointment. I wonder how would you and I respond if we were in that situation? What do we do when we've fallen short? Would we admit our mistake and ask God to help us so we don't repeat that mistake in the future? Or would we blame others? You see, in response to God's disappointment, Cain has choices. And he could use this as a prod to search his heart and examine his life and and learn from this experience, but sadly he doesn't. Cain misses the opportunity to do the right thing because of pride. He again yields to pride. And like all prideful people, he prefers to blame others. It's Abel's fault for making me look bad with God. And Cain's hurt pride transforms into passionate anger that is directed at his brother. 
Pride is destructive because it creates division in relationships. So if you're a loving parent, what do you do when you see your child making bad choices? Anytime we believe our kids can do better, we want to let them know it. We want to turn it into a teachable moment where we can impart some life lessons to help them grow. That's what I do. That's exactly what God the Father does next. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you not do, do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Look at how God is pleading here with Cain and instructing him. And what does Cain do in response? He turns his back on God. Now Cain said to his brother, Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. I find it very interesting that some people view God as routinely harsh. They view God as this being who loves to punish people. But that's not the picture we get of the Heavenly Father in Scripture. And it comes through in passages like this. When God the Father sees Cain making bad choices, he's not harsh, he's gracious. And it's an act of humility for the Creator to pursue Cain and try to teach him and to to save him from this moment. And God does this because God always is trying to rescue us from ourselves. He loves to shower us with His compassionate mercy. So here is Cain, and he's turning away from God. He's full of wounded pride and full of bitter anger, and God comes looking for him. He comes looking for him and asks him this heartfelt question, Why are you so angry? It's a chance for Cain to be honest with God about what's going on. And God lovingly points out to Cain, as any caring father would do, that Cain is in moral and spiritual danger. God urges Cain to not yield to sin and to make the right choices that will lift him up and change the trajectory of his life. And it's heartbreaking that Cain refuses to stop his downward spiral. He's heading in the wrong direction. And he pursues it relentlessly. And here we see that Cain's pride is so much more deep-seated than the pride of his parents. The first couple let Satan talk them into sin. Cain will not let God talk him out of sin. And so he rejects God's invitation to do the right thing. He rejects God's mercy. And this is what people do when they are in the grip of pride. And because of his selfish anger, Cain murders his brother. He robs his brother of life. And what does God do? God still mercifully pursues Cain. Look what happens next. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? 
The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. What heartbreaking words. After this despicable act of murder, God again seeks Cain out and he asks him another question. It's a question designed to give Cain the opportunity to confess. Properly understood, it's a question that is bathed in mercy because God still wants what's best for Cain. And obviously Cain at this point cannot undo his crime. And yet to admit to what he did would be so very good for his soul. I've had police officers tell me that many criminals once caught, feel the need to confess. They confess because covering up the lie is a weight on the soul for most people. One time, a Christian psychologist sent a church member to me specifically for the purpose of repentance and confession. The therapist told this man, I can help you with the emotional and relational aspects of your sin, but you need to confess to another believer so you can deal with the spiritual aspects of your sin. Repentance and confession are cleansing. Cain, Cain's not interested. He chooses pride over healing. So he responds to God's question, to God's invitation to confess with a statement of incredible arrogance. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, Cain, actually you are. Cain scorns God's humility. He scorns and rejects God's mercy. So now he must receive God's judgment. This is a situation that cries out for justice because Cain has stolen an innocent life by lashing out in anger. He now is placed under a curse. And you see, pride and anger blind us to the consequences that we will create for others and ourselves. And so by destroying Abel, Cain destroys himself. In the book of Romans, we learn that the wages of sin is death. And this is horribly true because each time we sin, we die in so many ways. And for Cain, because of his sin, his life is transformed. Instead of a life rooted in the security of land and crops and family, he is going to be rootless and he's going to be separated from his family and from his family's land and he will live the rest of his life with a sense of restlessness. He'll never be at peace, never content, never fully at home. When he killed his brother and then refused to confess he killed any hope for his ability to live a life of contentment. Cain paid a huge price for his anger. He was consumed by the destructive power of pride, and he refused to let the God of mercy rescue him. 
And so it's a tragic story with a tragic ending. It's an example of destructive attitudes and actions that you and I should avoid at all costs. Now, it might be tempting to say, well, this story doesn't apply to me because I'm never going to murder anybody. And the reality, though, is that even if we never murder someone, we do great damage to ourselves and to others when we let pride grip us and drive us to anger. Thankfully, the Bible offers some wise advice that can help us learn to embrace the kind of humility that will help us keep our pride and anger in check. And here are three specific actions that we can take. I can find my notes here. In the book of James, be quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Action item number one is to listen. See, when we make the effort to listen to others rather than to talk at others, we're shifting the focus, we're shifting attention away from ourselves. In fact, if we make it a higher priority to listen to others than to talk at others, that actually helps us to squelch our pride because we're demonstrating humility by putting others ahead of ourselves. And the more that we do this, the more that you and I can move away from our self-centeredness, the less likely we are to express ourselves with anger. The next time we're in a conversation, let's focus on listening more than talking. Let's put the attention on the other person. Because when we're slow to speak, We're taking an active step to defeat the pride that fuels our anger. That's number one. Number two, from the book of Ephesians. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, despite our best intentions, there will be times when we get angry. However, the longer we sit on our anger, the deeper its grip on us. The longer we sit with our anger, the more it fractures our relationships and makes them harder to heal. That's why the advice here is to deal with it quickly. Don't even let the sun go down. Handle it today. And yet, because of pride, we often resist taking the initiative to resolve conflicts. Why should I make the first move? He started it. Why should I apologize? It's not my fault. Those kinds of responses only throw fuel on the fire. And we can disarm our anger by making the first move to restore peace in our relationships. When we take the initiative, regardless of whose fault it is, it's an act of humility that moves us closer to God and helps us to get rid of pride. Action item number three from the book of Galatians. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and mark this last one, self-control. There are times when trying to actually implement the first two action items may seem impossible. We just can't do it. 
And all of us have had experiences where we know the right thing to do and yet we fail to do it. And it's awesome because that's exactly why God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is present in your life and in mine to help us when we can't do the right thing on our own. And it takes some humility to admit that there are areas of life where we can't succeed without God's help. And pride and anger for many of us are one such area. And we need greater self-control to help defeat our pride and to keep our anger in check. And I believe then we should make this an ongoing part of our prayers. And through prayer, we can open up our hearts and lives to God. We can create fertile ground where the Holy Spirit can then produce His fruit in our lives. Particularly the fruit of self-control. So if you ever struggle with these things, And I'm sure that you do, because we all do. Here's a possible way we might pray. Heavenly Father, I struggle with pride, and there are times when I let my pride drive me to anger. By the way, that's called confession. It's good for us to confess to God. So I ask, Father, that you would help me to yield to the Holy Spirit. And I pray specifically that the Spirit would give me self-control that I lack. Please give me self-control in those moments when my pride starts to rear its head. Please give me self-control in those moments when my anger begins to erupt. Please give me self-control so that I will be led by the Spirit and not by my selfish emotions. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I believe if we pray something like that consistently, it will help us walk by the Spirit. It will help us live in step with the Spirit. It will help us break the power of pride and anger in our lives. There's a battle going on, and we can't back away from this battle. And it's a battle that you and I need to win because as we read here in the Bible, our anger does not bring about the righteous life that God wants us to have. So as people who represent Jesus in this world, my hope and my prayer is that we will not be known as people full of pride and anger. Instead, I pray that we would always be known as humble people who radiate the gracious mercy of a loving God. And as we do that, individually and together, that's how we will make a difference in this world.